Come on, church, it is Easter weekend. Are you glad to be in church today? Come on, can we honor Jesus together? Can we honor him? I want to welcome you, those of you who are with us live and in person, those tuned in on television, online, and to all the men and women joining us from prisons and correctional facilities from all across the nation right now. Church, can we put our hands together and welcome all of our friends and family, both near and far. Why don't you turn to somebody you're standing next to, tell them Happy Easter, it's good to see you. Make a new friend or two. You can have a seat. <laughs> it is the one central key event that the entire Christian faith hinges on. That is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The, the one key and central event that not some of, but the entire Christian faith hinges on, that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So much so that the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 said this, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is futile, which I'm quite sure there is somebody right now thinking to yourself, did he just say the quiet part out loud? That if Christ was not raised from death to life, that the entire Christian faith, not some of it, but all of it, has absolutely no power, no purpose, no point. This coming from the man who wrote nearly half the New Testament, he is saying that if Jesus, if this one key and central event in the life of Jesus, if the resurrection did not happen, if the resurrection is more fairy tale than true life, then the entire Christian faith is fairy tale and it all falls apart. We might as well throw away our Bibles. The scripture would be pointless and powerless. There would be no purpose in it if Christ was not raised from the dead. But I love how the apostle Paul continues and he says this, but Christ has indeed. Can I get an amen from somebody? Why don't we read this out loud together? Let's say it out loud. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. So said the apostle Paul, as did so many who were witness to Jesus after the resurrection. Jesus who appeared to the disciples after the resurrection. Jesus who at one time appeared to more than 500 people at the same time, most of whom would have still been alive when Paul wrote those words. Paul would spend the rest of his life declaring the reality of Jesus' resurrection and the, the impact of Jesus' resurrection for you and for me. What Jesus' resurrection means for the church. 
Now, I want you to notice that Paul the Apostle is not questioning the death of Jesus, and the reason is many men were put to death. Being put to death was, was, was nothing out of the ordinary. Even men who were put to death on a cross was quite common. It was not unusual to see a man put to death the way Jesus was put to death. And so Paul is not saying if Christ's death did not happen, the entire Christian faith is pointless and has no power. Paul is saying if the resurrection of Jesus did not happen, then the entire Christian faith has nothing to stand on. For what good is a dead man to anybody, let alone to a bunch of bodies more than 2,000 years later? What good is a dead king to us today? If Jesus stayed dead, what would we have? We would have the memory of our dead king, we would have the stories that he told. We would have the teachings that he taught. But if Jesus stayed dead, we would also have his broken promises. Look at Matthew chapter 17. This is just one of the many moments like it where Jesus not only predicts his death, but, but says, I will rise again when he pulls his disciples together and says, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. That is a promise. And that they will kill him, that's another promise. And on the third day, he will be raised from death to life. Now, that's an even bigger promise. And the disciples were filled, not with elation, not with excitement, not with joy and wonder, but they were filled with grief. And the reason they were filled with grief is, again, men were put to death all the time and every day. What men were not so much in the habit of doing was after they'd been put to death, coming back to life again. And so this is just one of those moments where Jesus' words are kind of going straight over the disciples' head. They can't quite make sense of it. How is this even possible? And so what Paul is saying is that Jesus was put to death. Lots of men were put to death. That does not make Jesus an extraordinary man. What makes Jesus extraordinary is that he did not stay dead. Can I get one more amen from the church if you believe it? He did not stay dead. Paul would spend the first years after the resurrection of Jesus literally persecuting Christians, killing Christians until he too came face to face with the risen, resurrected king until his personal encounter with Jesus post-resurrection. Jesus to Paul was just an ordinary man, just another dead man. What I love about the story of Paul the Apostle is his story looks so much like my story, your story, so many of our stories because Paul was just sort of living life. He was moving in one direction and then he has this personal encounter with Jesus and everything in his life changes. His life gets turned right side up so much so that he undergoes a name change because that's the only way to make sense of this radical transformation that's been made in Paul's life. And so it happens that Saul in Acts chapter 9 verse 1, before he became Paul, was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Notice he's not interested in Jesus at all. He's not 
coming to church this weekend because uh, some friend invited him to Rock City Church, and so we thought, well, I might as well go because my friends are going. I might as well just you know, attend an Easter service with my family, then I might not have to show my face again until Christmas. Paul's not interested in following Jesus at all. What he's interested in is crushing and killing and shutting down the Jesus movement, the Jesus message. That's all he wants to do. He's on this war path. He's making his way along the road to Damascus. He's already received permission from the high priest to round up any Jesus followers in Damascus that he might arrest them and bring them back to Jerusalem. So this is his mission. And while he's on this mission, while he's on his way, the Bible says in verse three that suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and, and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Then Saul replied, who are you, Lord? Clearly he knows he's standing in the presence of anything but an ordinary man. And Jesus replies, I am he, Jesus, whom you are persecuting now. Get up and go and you will be told what you must do next. I love how Jesus doesn't waste time with a lot of words. He just says, get up and go. And when I'm ready and when you're ready, I'm going to tell you what you must do next. I love that, that Paul was not looking for Jesus, but Jesus was clearly looking for Paul. And I just feel like somebody is, is here right now, or maybe you're watching online or from a prison cell or a hospital room or a nursing home, and you're not looking for Jesus. You don't even know why you're watching right now or why you're here. You're just sort of living your life and you think your life is good without God. You've maybe never thought much of him. You have no idea what you're missing out on. And I just feel led to say this, that you might not be looking for Jesus today, but Jesus has come looking for you. Amen. He's come looking for you. He's not given up on you. He won't give up on you. He'll keep pursuing you. And just like this man, Saul, who becomes Paul, has this radical life change in a moment, in an instant, because one moment in the presence of Jesus changes everything and makes all the difference in the world, so too can your life be radically changed and transformed by him. Just like the Apostle Paul encounters Jesus, so too can you encounter Jesus. He, he's led to a home where a man named Ananias is living, and Ananias says to the Lord, Lord, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he's done to your people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. So Ananias went to the house and he entered it and placing his hands on Saul, he said, brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. And he got up and he was baptized. And at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't 
he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name. And, and hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? And yet Saul grew more and more powerful and he baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Could we do something right now? Could we just pray together? Lord, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear your word today that we may be changed and transformed by the same Holy Spirit power that changed and transformed a man named Saul. May we see again and be filled with Holy Spirit power that we may grow stronger each day and that the people who know us best would say the same thing about us as they said about Saul. Isn't he the man who? Isn't he the man that I used to work with? Isn't she the, the woman I used to know in, in college? Isn't he the, the man that I was once married to? But right now, all I know is he looks like a different man. She's different. May the same be said of us that we would be different, changed, and transformed by you. It is in the matchless and mighty and perfect and powerful name of Jesus we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. So what difference does the resurrection of Jesus make? Why does it matter? How does the resurrection of Jesus impact our lives even still today? And if you're still not sure that Jesus is risen, that Jesus is alive, like that quiet part out loud, that's sort of where you've settled in your own life. It's just too much to believe. It's just too much to take in. Can we at least acknowledge together that it's not just the entire Christian faith that hinges on this moment, but that all of human history does too? That, that literally time has been split in two? That there is B.C. before Christ and A.D. and Jesus standing in the middle of all of it at the hinge of all time. And I'm just going to throw it out there that nobody else has ever done that but Jesus. And so if you've not yet fully considered Jesus, he might be worth at least considering. And if Jesus can change the heart of a murderous man like Paul, he can certainly change my heart and your heart. As I've seen this happen time and time again, the way it happened in Paul's life, what happens when you meet Jesus? You will begin to see with new eyes. You will see with new eyes. I've begun to, to see with new eyes ever since I started teaching my oldest daughter how to drive. <laughs> What I thought was just second nature. I've been driving a long time. It's, it's, it's not second nature when you're trying to teach a, a teenager how to drive. There, there are so many signs on the street, on the side of the street, up high above the street. You got to know what the flashing lights in front of you on the back of the cars mean. She said, Dad, why, why, why are those lights going like on and off? I said, because they're slowing down. Because they're breaking ahead of you. Because they're about to turn left. I'll, I'll never forget the, the day that, that my daughter just sort of gleefully rolled the two of us straight through a major intersection while the light was still red. <laughs> Boy, that'll wake you up in a moment like nothing else. 
I'm telling you, when the horns are honking from every direction and fingers are flying, I felt like the most depraved and despised person on the planet. It's sort of what happens when you meet Jesus face to face, when when the truth of God's word and of his every promise is revealed, that, that the depth of our need for him and of our own depravity becomes so overwhelmingly apparent. It happened when Saul was, was, was blinded by the sight of Jesus, and for three days he was without sight. It's almost as though Saul became immediately overwhelmingly aware as to the depth of his own blindness, of his own depravity, and of his own sin. That when you come face to face with Jesus who is perfect, the first thing you know is, I am nothing like you. I am nowhere close to being perfect. When you encounter Jesus, the only thing you know to say is what the blind man had to say in John chapter 9. There's one thing I know. I was blind, but now I see. Our eyes are open. As Saul's eyes were three days later opened, and we become overwhelmingly aware of our need for Jesus, of our need for a Savior, and of our need to be forgiven of sin. And there's this overwhelming sense of not judgment, but of mercy and of grace that we just can't quite seem to explain. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world for sin, but to save the world from sin through him. And you realize when you meet Jesus that Jesus is the only one who's ever looked at all of your sin, and yet he chooses not to beat you over the head with it. Instead, he says, I've come to proclaim freedom for the captive and recovery of sight to the blind. Then on top of that, you're given new and everlasting life. This is God's unchanging plan and purpose. His plan and his purpose for you. Jesus, who said, I have come that you may have life and life to the full. This isn't just the promise of everlasting life somewhere off and into the future, but but the promise, too, of the fullness of life lived out here and now, the, the fullness of life that, if you're honest, many people today are living without. For in his great mercy, he has given us new birth, new life into this living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead. I wonder today, are you living with hope? And not just a future hope, but a hope that is here and now, a living hope that does not ebb and flow with all the ebbs and flows of life. Have you received the gift of new life in Christ? Because as for you, you were dead. And some of you right now, you may still be. In your transgression and sin, like the rest of us, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgression. And it is by grace that we have been saved and God has raised us up with Christ. Is that your story? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. Can you tell the difference between the old you and the new you? 
For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Have you taken hold of that incredible gift? It was Jesus who in John chapter 5 verse 25 said, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears these words of mine and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He will not be judged, but has already passed from death to life. It's quite an interesting statement, pretty amazing really, when you think about how used to we are people passing from life to death, and yet Jesus flips it completely. He gives us new eyes to see and new life to live and an incomparably great power to withstand the challenges of life. We're given incomparably great power that you may know the hope to which he has called you and his incomparably great power for us who believe this same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. The same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is given to all who believe, who have been saved and set free by him. It's not a powerless faith that we've been called to, but a powerful faith with an incomparably great power given to those whose faith and whose trust is in him. To we who through faith are shielded by God's power. If I've learned anything in life is that I need Holy Spirit power because sometimes life can be quite challenging and the questions of life, overwhelming. That's why beginning next Sunday, we're gonna talk about for the next several weeks so many of the questions of life that people are really wrestling with right now in a series we're calling Elephant in the Room. And that's meant to describe the questions that people are dealing with, reeling with right now that are both difficult at times to ask and also can be, if we're honest, quite a challenge to answer. Questions that perhaps you've asked yourself. Why is God so hard to find if, if he wants to be found? Why, why is he so hard at times to find? Is there really only one way to heaven? If God is good, why, why would a good God allow so much pain and suffering? Not, not just in the world, but in, in my own life. Maybe you've read some of the Old Testament and you've looked at the God in the Bible and, and sometimes, if we're honest, he appears to be just a, a bloodthirsty, egotistical maniac, vengeful and vindictive and unloving. And, and you've wondered, how, how does that even make sense? Or hasn't Christianity been used over millennia to oppress women and, and minorities because that's what we're being told. Now the reason I'm, I'm sort of setting up the direction that we'll be heading in the next several weeks is that this living hope that we've been given is often a working hope in progress. And that even those with greatest faith will have moments in life where our faith will be tried and, and tested. Where, where, where if we're honest, when we read the scripture, even the disciples, those who were closest to Jesus, at times they question God. In other words, we, we have this hope. It is an anchor for our soul. And yet the storms of life rage on and on and on. 
So we need the strength and the power of God to shield us, but, but the power of God is not only meant to shield us, but it's also meant to propel us. Which is why Jesus, 40 days after the resurrection, said, and you will receive power when my Holy Spirit comes on you. And the purpose to my power is not just to protect you, but to propel you to be my witness in all the earth. In church, This is another thing that makes Jesus so incredible, that he would be willing, that that he would want any of us, that that he would want me, that he would want you, that he would want a murderous man like Paul to bear witness to his name. Yet that's exactly what happens. That the moment you meet Jesus, you are invited into this living hope and into living a life that makes a difference. You are given a new purpose to live for, made to make a difference. Just as Paul was chosen, you too are chosen by God. And just as the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen to proclaim my name. So too does he say the same thing over you. You are chosen to share what you have been so freely given by him, that that you have been chosen to freely give what you've received from him, new eyes to see. New life to live, an incomparably great power and a purpose to live for. And don't you think our world could use a whole lot more of all of that? Come on, more people who can see clearly, more people who are living life abundantly, more people who are strong and not weak, filled with Holy Spirit power and living the purpose that God has had for us since before any of us were ever born. The Christian faith that hinges on the resurrection of Jesus. Well, let's not forget that there can be no resurrection without death. That Jesus, who did not have to, he did not deserve to, would choose willingly for our sake to submit himself, not to a crown of kings, but to a crown of thorns. Not to a throne of exaltation, but to an instrument of torture. And that that he would take upon himself our sin. And that he would willingly step into our place. That the full requirements of divine justice would be forever and once and for all satisfied. That Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He could have, but he chose not to. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That he would willingly choose to become a sacrificial substitute for we who deserve the cross. And though Jesus did not, yet he who knew no sin would choose to become sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. For Christ died to rescue us from the penalty 
of our sin? Was it easy for him? No, it wasn't easy. Would he do it all again? Knowing that even still so many would reject him and turn away from him. Yes, he would do it all.
Therefore God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is an incredible promise. It is a promise for all of us, for everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. So I wonder if we could pray together one more time, if you would bow your head and close your eyes as I simply ask you to consider this question. Do you know him? Have you encountered Jesus in a real and life-transforming way? Or might you say, I I want to see with new eyes and live life abundant into the full life that I've never lived before with power I've never known before purpose that God has had for me before ever I was born. I want to be forgiven of my sin. I I want to be saved, set free by Jesus. If that's you, I'm going to ask for you to pray with me this prayer just between you and the Lord. Say, Jesus, here I am. I need you. And I trust you as Lord and Savior of my life. And I put what faith I have in both your death and resurrection, because you did both. That you are alive today, so can I to live an everlasting life through you. So would you forgive me of my sin? Cleanse me the inside out and would you fill me with your Holy Spirit and strengthen me with Holy Spirit power that I might see with new eyes live this new life with power from on high a purpose that will make heaven full as I use my influence and my life to lead others into relationship with you as I right now am being led into relationship with you. I thank you, Jesus, and I give you honor and glory and praise because it all belongs to you. The mighty, matchless, powerful, wonderful, perfect name of Jesus we pray. Everyone said. Can we honor Jesus together? Come on, church. Can we honor him?